Now let's take a look at the bigger picture. Jill Melandrin is with us, Global Markets Reporter of the NASDAQ. Thanks so much, Jill, for being with us. I know you're watching this relationship as commodities are coming off the highs and stocks are moving higher. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, we keep talking about oil and gas prices rising, although many commodities are getting more expensive and gold has also rallied as a safe haven investment. I know things have reversed in this session and to your point and Ben's point earlier, the velocity of the moves um, and being blown out of positions just is something that we have not seen in quite some time. Um, you know, to, to see one, two, three, four percent moves in the indices and in the individual commodities in just a session, even more so with commodities, is really quite dramatic. I mean, look at what nickel has done, copper has done. Ag futures, you have to remember, Ukraine does a lot of farming and food production. They have also gone up and have been volatile. Um, and again, as the expectation is that a lot of wheat and other grains have normally come from Ukraine, might not be produced this year. But of course, if you're following the wheat ETF, you can see the moves that that has had as well. I think the bigger picture is, regardless of the intraday swings that we're seeing, I can't even imagine what it's like being, you know, holding anything on the overnights with these moves. You know, um, is it going to be inflation or could this potentially spark a recession, right? These commodity price moves all means inflation, even in the U.S., are likely to remain higher for longer. One estimate suggests oil could double from 80 to 160. That could add almost 2% to U.S. CPI inflation. Of course, all eyes will be on that uh, data tomorrow morning. This also means the Fed is not going to get the tailwind from supply chains normalizing and COVID fading as we thought. However, high oil prices and war bottlenecks likely reduce productions too, which brings recession risk forward. Um, our chief economist, Phil McIntosh, has pointed out. And, and some are greatly forecasting GDP growth rates in developed countries falling as much as 1%. Um, so it, really, when we go back to the, what is the Fed going to do, it's not just even harder to engineer a soft landing in 2022. They have all these other variables that perhaps were, were not in, in the back of their heads as they were creating their strategy for 2022, uh, you know, um, taking money off the balance sheet and raising rates and so forth. Right, absolutely. Um, so when we see all the prints on inflation and the, obviously the Russian-Ukraine war continues, what are investors watching here or what is on your mind when, the, when we keep an eye on that? Right. So at the same time, the majority of companies seem to be seeing slower earnings growth than last year. Many are telling analysts their expectations are too high. So they're essentially guiding analysts' expectations and taking them a bit lower. And this makes sense because higher commodity prices mean higher costs, which means lower margins, while higher prices for consumers mean they also can't buy as much, causing lower product demand. So although so far we have not seen any slowdown impact in employment growth data. I think, Nicole, my biggest concern is, you know, you and I have the ability to work from home. We have access to mass transit. You live in the city. We don't have to worry about gas prices impacting our pockets, perhaps as much as someone who has to drive to work every day, right? Um, there, that's a lot of positions that are in the services economies. We know it's going to disproportionately impact lower income families. And it kind of brings us back to the conundrum that we saw in the beginning with COVID. They're going to start to have to um, ask themselves, is, does it make sense to work? Am I bringing in enough income for the cost of child care? And am I even making enough to get back and forth to work? Am I making enough to put money on the table? Where does it economically make sense? So we haven't seen the impact to employment data yet, but I think that is something that we also need to have on the radar as we're factoring in the cost of gas and the cost of food.
Right. Absolutely. We did see the jolts number, the 11 million jobs openings. But I, I agree. I mean, at some point you have to really decide um, what your costs are to go to work versus what you're making. That being said, um, we're waiting on the ECB tomorrow, the Fed next week. Different pictures, what's going on in Europe, what's going on here and different uncertainties, too. You feel like there's any sort of um, similarities or even collaboration when it comes to rates? I think if we would have had this conversation, let's say the beginning of February, we might have seen a more collaborative environment. Clearly what's happening in Ukraine um, is going to impact the Europeans disproportionately than it could potentially can with the US. I mean, they are more acutely dependent on products that come out of Russia, whether we're looking at oil and also um, products that come out of Ukraine, because we know Ukraine is very well known for being a very big ag producer. So even if you look at the cost of nat gas and oil in the EU um, and even in the UK relative to what we're paying here, it's two very different stories. So it might've been more coordinated and collaborative um, you know, in the beginning of February, but as this has moved on, we've also seen the reversal in sentiment here too. You know, markets just before the headlines with Ukraine and, and Russia were kind of getting comfortable with the fact that we could most likely see a 50 basis point rise in March. That has certainly reversed 25 basis points. And, and you know, it's not even that Powell has been telegraphing this. I mean, he's been telling you exactly what the Fed is going to do. Um, so I think really the risk to that is, is the downside with nothing happening with rates. But as it stands right now, everyone seems to be buckling up for, for 25 basis points. I know you were concerned about uh, slower earnings growth. That's something that we've all been talking about. You are you know, fully immersed at the NASDAQ. We always talk a lot about technology and growth stocks. Uh, what are you hearing? Yeah, well, you know, when we take a look at the technology space, there were already issues before the geopolitics that we're facing right now. They really did have the, the side effect of rising interest rates um, just because of, of how it would have impacted their balance sheets. And to be honest with you, Nicole, many of these were just so highly overvalued. A number of um, companies that had come public to market last year, whether technology or otherwise, weren't profitable. And they were just getting assigned these really high valuations. So I think a big part of it is a function of um, valuations coming back down to earth. But what's interesting is we had your JJ Kinahan on my show on Monday talking about the Investor Movement Index, which um, really is a great sign into how TD Meritrade uh, traders or investors are positioning themselves. And and the buys always come back to those large cap bellwethers, Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, all of the big names that investors seem to be comfortable with because of their valuations, because of their strong balance sheets, because of their position in the world in general. So it's really interesting to see where investors are finding comfort in the market, because if you think about um, blue chips such as financials or energy, the volatility in those two sectors right now, in particular, with the exception of the yields and dividend that they offer, could be a little bit much for investors to stomach. So I think to see them go back to those growth NASDAQ 100 stalwarts it is really interesting to see where investors are taking some safe haven. Yeah, good to chat with you, Jill Malandrino. Thank you so much of the NASDAQ. Thank you, Jill.